Well, it's great to see all of you here with us in worship day. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. I'm David. I'm the pastor. You're always invited to anything we have going on that pertains to you. Just feel like you're a part of, of what we do. Understand that whenever we talk about money, we never expect a guest to give any, any money at all. I say that because I want you to know we're, we're at the end of a, of a couple of months where we've been uh, kind of on an emphasis about a capital campaign we got going on. See, when we moved out here three and a half years ago, we always knew that this was just a small part of our facility to be built. And we've got to add phase two, man. We're growing. We're growing out of this service, 11 o'clock service. We're just growing out of, out of space. And so we're in this thing called impact. And uh, yes, last week was Commitment Sunday. If this is your church home, hopefully maybe you made a commitment with a commitment card. If not, you can do that today. Uh, if you don't have a card, there's some over here outside on the table. If you're fairly new to our church or just a guest and want to know what impact is in terms of the capital campaign, you can go out, turn to the left, and there's some information there. But impact is so much more than just that. I mean, impact is about the way we view people. I mean, we came out here to reach people, and we've been reaching people, and we want to continue to reach people. But we know this. We're not always going to be able to reach everyone. There are some people we'll never reach, and so if we can't reach them, can we at the very least impact their life? Can we find some way to impact them? So maybe later on, we'll reach them for Jesus, because that's what matters. When all is said and done, all that really matters is whether you have become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so next week, we're going to end this whole thing, and I'm going to talk about impact, reaching people to impact. But today, what I want to do is I want to do something that, that, that I don't do very often when I kind of talk about. It. I don't, it's kind of an area that I don't touch on much. But I want to talk about legacy. And I'm going to come to Acts chapter 4 in just a moment to talk about legacy. Now, in the classic definition of legacy has to do with what, something you leave behind, primarily something monetary or something that has some value like property that you leave to someone or some organization. That's what legacy really is. In our pop culture today, legacy tends to be how you are remembered. How do people remember you? I mean, so, you, you know, presidents are always concerned about beginning their legacy, how they're remembered. Uh, athletes, you know, especially the great ones. You know, you got, you got a lot like Tom Brady, who really carved up my Cowboys last week, man. Always worried about their, their legacy and what legacy, how are they remembered when they're, when they're through. But for a believer, for a Christian, for a follower of Christ, that's not what we're concerned about. In fact, here's the thing. For a follower of Jesus, our legacy is our impact on others. Think about it. As a follower of Jesus, my legacy, my legacy is my impact on other people. So today I'm going to begin this message talking about one man's legacy. In Acts chapter 4, you have one of the summation passages that you find in the book of Acts. I, I mentioned last week, Acts covers this large amount of time, 30 years. And so to get all that in, to fill in the gaps, Luke has summations. And here is a summary passage. And this summary passage is very similar to the one we looked at last week in chapter 2, talking about the unity of this early church in Jerusalem. Now, now remember, as I shared last week, the church in Jerusalem... I mean, there was 120 people that start out in Jerusalem on Pentecost Sunday, and by the end of that day, there's over 3,000 believers. And most of them had come from outside of Jerusalem. They were there for the Pentecost celebration. Jews had come from all over the world to celebrate Pentecost, and they got saved that day, and more got saved. Every day, people were getting saved, and so they stayed to learn about Jesus. And so you have this influx of people 
that are a part of that, that beginning Christian movement from all over the world, and they're staying there, and they're living with other believers. You know, and, and to be truthful, they're sponging off them, man. I mean, they're, they're eating their food, they're staying in their house, they're watching their cable, they're doing all that stuff, you know? And so they got to come up with money to pay for all that. And so they're, they're constantly having to come up with money. And eventually, because everybody's staying, a lot of them don't have jobs, the church really becomes cash poor. And so they're constantly having to help with finances. In fact, throughout the book of Acts, throughout all the New Testament, in the letters of Paul, there's this ongoing effort to help relieve financially the burden of that church in Jerusalem, where so many of them had got their start. In Acts chapter 4 is one of those places. In Acts chapter 4, it talks about this guy. Luke does what only Luke does. Luke's, Luke's brilliant in how he writes. He introduces someone just very casually who happens to be a hugely important person in the book of Acts. In fact, outside of Peter and Paul, no one is involved in more crucial moments in the book of Acts than this person. Not James, not John, the apostle, not Stephen, not Philip. They have more space, more print time, but they're not involved in more crucial events. And this guy's name is Barnabas. Barnabas is introduced in verse 36. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. Now, Barnabas' given name is Joseph, a very common name. We know two things about him. He was from the island of Cyprus, just kind of in the Mediterranean Sea, kind of off Turkey a little bit and off Palestine area. And he was a Levite. Now, the Levites go all the way back to the old, 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 old Testament times when the tribes of Joseph, or excuse me, the tribes, yeah, Joseph got all, uh, excuse me, Jacob got all their different inheritance. The Levites were, they were the priestly kind of group. They were the group that kind of helped out with, I should say, all of the, the tabernacle and the temple. They were servants. They didn't get any property. But these were guys who were, they were supposed to be serving. So Joseph was, was bent towards serving. It goes back all the way to the Old Testament times. And he had a nickname. Now, nicknames are critical because nicknames, are, the apostles gave him the nickname, by the way. I mean, the, the, the big, the main 11 guys gave him his nickname. That's kind of cool. How would you like an apostle to give you a nickname? Now, nicknames are important because it signifies how people kind of think about you. You should, you should never give yourself a nickname. Hey, now, don't raise your hand if you've done this because I'm about to embarrass you to death. Have you ever known, don't raise your hand, somebody who gave themselves a nickname? Where I come from, if you give yourself a nickname and you nickname yourself, you're kind of a loser, man. I mean, you really are. I mean, who nicknames themselves, you know? And everybody's probably got a nickname. His nickname was Barnabas. Now, I, I was a teenager in the 70s. And in the 70s, growing up in church in the 70s as a young person, in the 70s, by the way, were fantastic. What a fantastic decade to grow up in. Classic rock. The Cowboys won Super Bowls. Man, it was heaven on earth. And we had a version of the Bible called the Living Bible. Anybody ever have the Living Bible? Oh, you can't find them anymore. I still have them. It's hard to find. And in the Living Bible, which isn't really an English translation, it's an English paraphrase. It took the King James and put it into really, 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 really modern, modern, modern English. And they, they called Barnabas. This is embarrassing. Anybody remember what they called Barnabas? Barney the Preacher. <laughs> Barney the Preacher. Barnabas actually means son of, of encouragement. It comes from a, a Greek word that the verbal form, parakaleo, means to call together. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, recording what he called the Holy Spirit, when John wrote what Jesus said in Greek concerning the Holy Spirit, he called him the paraclete. So it's just what 
Barnabas is, is the paraclete. It means to come alongside of, to, to aid, to help. Barnabas was seen as the guy who came alongside of people, man. That's who he was. He was Barnabas. The come along, you're not Barney the preacher. He was Barney the encourager. Verse 37 says this. He owned a tract of land and sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I'll be honest. Normally when I preach from this passage, this is what I'm focusing on. I'm going to preach, go sell everything you have and lay it at the feet of the church. No, I'll say that. Now, we need to understand something. It's interesting that Levi's normally didn't own property. But, but that was in the old, 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 old part of the Testament. The Old Testament, they weren't supposed to. But that has obviously changed. Whether it was through his wife or just because time's changed, she owned land. He didn't sell all his land, by the way. I've heard guys said he sold everything he had. No, he didn't. Didn't say that. In fact, he probably kept a lot. He probably had a lot of money because he's going to take a lot of trips. And the church in Jerusalem isn't paying for the trip. They don't have any money. And so he took this and, and he gave the money. And, and, and that's how this kind of chapter ends. That he helped. He helped with this huge burden that was on this church. And a lot of times that's where we kind of stop with Barnabas. But what I want to do today is something a little different. If you're a guest, I'm doing something a little different. I want to tell you the story of Barnabas in the book of Acts. Here's what I want you to see. That throughout Acts, Barnabas impacts through his encouragement. Throughout the book of Acts, Barnabas impacts through his encouragement. Here's the thing. The emphasis isn't on the encouragement part because not all of us can encourage. Listen, I'm not much of an encourager. I'm really not. Just sit in a staff meeting and you'll know that I don't encourage very well. But that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is on the impact. And all of us can impact. In Acts chapter 9, critical thing happens. Maybe outside of the words of Jesus in Acts 1-8, when Jesus, and anytime you read in Acts, I don't care what chapter you read, go back, read Acts 1-8, because Acts 1-8 influences everything. Jesus said, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and to the world. That impacts everything. So, in Acts 9, maybe the single most important thing happens other than Jesus telling them to do that and the Holy Spirit coming. Paul is saved. He's known as Saul back then. He's out persecuting Christians, trying to kill them. And Jesus saves him, and his life changes and turns around. And he ends up going to Damascus, where he's going to go anyways. And he does some things there. He does some preaching, and then he gets some persecuted, and he leaves. And he goes to Jerusalem. <laughs> and he go, and, and, by the way, he spent a large part of his life in Jerusalem. He's born in uh, Tarsus, uh, but, but he comes to Jerusalem. That's where he grew up. That's where he was educated. That's where he got the, the, the orders to go and kill whoever he wanted. He comes to Jerusalem, and surprisingly, no one in the church wants anything to do with Paul. Can you imagine that? Paul, I'm here. <laughs> we don't care. You were trying to kill us all, man. Get out of here. In Acts 9, we are told, right about verse 26, that Barnabas gets Paul, calls Saul, and he brings him to everybody else, and he vouches for his salvation and his character. Barnabas risked his own reputation to bring Saul to the group. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we are told that after Stephen was slaughtered and murdered, the church began to spread. All those Jewish believers went back home. Those since staying in Jerusalem were out of money and they're trying to kill us. They went home and they began to share the gospel wherever they went, but primarily other Jews. But we're told that some believers who were in Cyprus, they decided to go to Antioch. Now, Antioch was north of the area of Jerusalem, north of Palestine, south of Turkey, north of Palestine. And they went there and they began 
to share Jesus with the Greeks or the Gentiles. And Gentiles became Christians by a bunch. This is the first time that many Gentiles had become believers. In fact, the church in Antioch was primarily Gentile. And so the leadership in Jerusalem was concerned because they didn't know how legitimate this was. And, and at this time, most of the apostles had gone off all over the world, so they needed to send somebody to check this out. They sent Barnabas. Barney went to check it out to make sure it was good. By this time, Barnabas may have even been considered an apostle. Later on, it's implied that they thought of him as an apostle. Acts 14.4, 1 Corinthians 9.6 seem to indicate that Paul, at the very least, thought of Barnabas as an apostle. So Barnabas goes, and he says, this is legit. And Barnabas decides, I'm going to stick around, but I, somebody's got to teach these guys. They don't know anything. I know it. I know a lot. I'm going to teach them. And here's what he does. This is brilliant on his part. We're told, in the 25th verse of, uh, Acts, I mean, of chapter 11, he goes to Tarsus, and he gets Paul. And he takes Paul, and he brings him to Antioch. And Christianity changes, because Antioch is going to become the city. Now, Jerusalem will always be important until 70 AD when it's destroyed. But Jerusalem is primarily about doctrine. It's primarily about the origins, the protecting of the faith. Other than the apostles who went, and all those people from other places who simply went back home, none of that happens in Jerusalem. But Antioch changes everything because Antioch becomes the center of the mission movement to go reach Gentiles. And in Acts 13, we're told that Antioch, which has now grown, and it's now got all these believers, they take Barnabas and Paul and they send them off to go reach Gentiles for Jesus. And they go. And at that moment, when they go, Barnabas is the main man. And somewhere along the way, Paul ascends. And Barnabas steps aside and lets Paul become the big dog in the group. And Christianity begins to grow, not by hundreds, by thousands of Gentile believers. At the end of chapter 14, start of chapter 15, they're back in Antioch. And Christianity is starting to become Gentile. And the believers in Jerusalem are a little concerned because they're the original group. I mean, they're the old school Southern Baptist type, you know? They got all the rules and regulations in place. They're what I grew up in. Love being a Southern Baptist, but I grew up in rules and regulations. They got them all, man. They got all the doctrinal rules. They got the church polity. You know, they got how long your skirt can be, whether or not women can wear pants. They got all of that stuff in the church. And they are all Jewish. And because they're Jewish, they're all circumcised. And they all follow the ceremonial law. And they think the Gentiles should too. Did you ever grow up in a church? Some of you are new Christians. This never happened. You don't know the joy of growing up in a church that still lives in the 60s and 50s. And you're in the 70s and 80s. And they, don't, and they think you should live like they lived back before they had color TV, man. It's crazy. And so they're saying, you got to be circumcised. And, Paul's, and Barnabas is saying no. So Paul and Barnabas in, in Acts 15 leave Antioch. Paul, and everybody talks about Paul, but Barnabas went with him. And they went to Jerusalem, and Peter was there. And those three guys laid out the case while Gentiles should never have to convert to Judaism to be a believer. And James, the brother of Jesus, who's the head of the church at Jerusalem, agrees. And in Acts 15, 19, one of the great verses in all of the New Testament. Write it down, memorize it, paraphrase it. Here it goes. James says, it is my opinion 
I love this. Every Southern Baptist church ought to have this just, in, it just printed. We need to print this up on the screen one day. We're not going to do it. I'm just, I'm just being overly dramatic to prove a point. It is my opinion that we do not make it difficult. We do not make it difficult for the Gentiles to come to Jesus. How many churches make it difficult for the lost to come to Christ? And here you have Barnabas in the middle of that. At the end of chapter 15, Barnabas and Paul are ready to go on another trip, man. And Barnabas says, let's take John, Mark, my cousin, with me. Now, you have to realize that on the first journey, Mark went with them and he bailed. He cut loose. He went. It was too hard. It was too difficult. And I get that. He said, I'm, I'm leaving. And so Paul, and I'm with Paul 100%. Paul said, he ain't coming. He said, can't count on him, man. Can't depend on that cat to do what needs to be done. He's going to bail on this first chance he gets. And Barnabas says, now, Paul, think about this for me. Remember, remember back early on when nobody wanted anything to do with you and I took up for you? Remember that? And remember, remember when you were struggling over in Tarsus and I went and got you and brought you to Antioch? And remember on that last journey, I was in charge, but I stepped aside so you can be in charge? Come on, Paul. Let's take John with us. And Paul said, no, we're not going. And they split. And that is the last we hear of Barnabas. Because all the focus goes on Paul. See it? Now, Paul and Barnabas reconcile. Absolutely. They do. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 tells us that. And, and Paul and Mark became close because the last letter Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, the last chapter, chapter 4, the last things Paul said to Timothy is, Demas, having loved the world, has deserted me. No one's with me but Luke. I want you to come. And oh, by the way, go get Mark. Bring him with you. Because he is useful to me service. Barnabas is off the stage, but Barnabas leaves a legacy. And here's the thing. Barnabas's legacy isn't how we remember him. It's how he impacted the people. Get this. It's how he impacted the people that impact us. Your legacy isn't how you remember. It's how you impact people who will one day impact other people. Think about it. Paul. No one wanted anything to do with Paul but Barnabas. No one wanted to bring Paul with them anywhere but Barnabas. Paul wrote a huge hunk of the New Testament. Our way of thinking about Jesus in an orderly, systematic fashion, regardless of your denominational background, is shaped by Paul. Paul, outside of Jesus, is the most important figure in Western culture. He shaped Western culture. Now, he would have probably done most of that anyways. I get it. But that's not the point. The point that God used Barnabas to impact Paul, who impacts every one of us every day of our life, even people who have no faith in Christ. Not only that, it was old Barnabas who came back to Mark and put his arm around him and said, Mark, it's okay. You come with me. And about eight years later, Mark wrote a book, an account of the story of Jesus that bears his name. And through that story, millions and millions of people have come to Christ. One man's legacy. One man. Oh, Barney. Oh, Barney.
here's the thing I want you to see. Our legacy is still to be determined. Our legacy is still to be determined. We're all unique. We're all different. Barnabas and Paul were so different. Paul wasn't an encourager. I mean, he encouraged Timothy. He encur- you know what he encouraged Timothy to do? He encouraged Timothy to go to Ephesus and kick the fanny of the pastors and deacons who were messing that place up. That's what Paul encouraged Timothy to do. He was a builder, man. He was instrumental. But but oh, Barnabas, he just, he found a way to impact lives. All of us are different, but all of us can impact lives for Jesus. That's all that matters, isn't it? To impact lives for Jesus. What Barnabas did has lived on in eternity. Let me ask you this. Are you doing anything with eternal significance at all? I mean, seriously. Are you doing one thing that has eternal significance? I am a very proud graduate of the single greatest seminary that has ever existed, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. I have a master's and a doctorate. And I love that seminary. I, 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 man. But, you know, I did something unique. So I, was, I went and got my master's at a unique time. I'm in the 80s. And I never, I never stepped foot on the, on the campus at Fort Worth in the 80s to get my master's. Back then, before there was virtual learning, there was airplane learning. Professors got on airplanes and flew out to San Antonio where we had an off-campus extension. I got all my classes there. But the great thing is all those professors that came, and some of them came all the time, you got to be really close to them. Some of those guys hugely impacted my life. When I work on my doctorate, I would, I would see some of these same guys. I would go sit in their seminars and colloquium. Mean, if you go to Southwestern right now, there's this huge center called the Riley Center. It's this big conference. It's got all this fancy stuff, hotel rooms. It's beautiful. It's got a big wall with all the pictures of all these people who gave lots of money. You know, none of those people, I don't know any of them. I know actually one of them, a lady who was at my church in Laredo who gave a lot of money to the seminary and a lot of money to the National Mission Board and not a lot of money to First Baptist Laredo once I became pastor. She didn't like me much. Go on, man. But here's the thing. None of those people, what I'm going to say sounds counterintuitive since I'm doing, you know, a big capital campaign where we want you to get a lot of money. None of those people impacted my life at all. None of them. Not a one impact in my life. You know who impacted my life? Tommy Lee, Jimmy Nelson, Thomas Urry. They were professors who, throughout my master's and doctorate, shaped me and molded me. In many ways, I am what I am today because of those three men and others like them, but those three. If, if you can't stand the way I pastor and preach, you go blame those guys. It's not my fault. But if in any way I ever impact, if any way I ever influenced you, it's because of them. That's what legacy is. See, here's what you need to know about legacy. Just like these men, invest in people. You gotta invest in people, that's what they did. It wasn't what they taught me. I remember very little of what I was taught in seminary. That was 35 years ago, 30 years ago for some of that. I don't remember all that book stuff. I remember the lives of people who invested in me. You know what Barnabas did? Barnabas invested in Paul, and he invested in John, and we got over half the New Testament because of that, at least in part. Who are you investing in? What? Think of it. Who are you? Are you ever teaching any of our kids on Sundays and Wednesdays and investing in them? Are you in a small group investing in one another through support and prayer, teaching and encouragement? Do you ever go to the hospital just to visit people you know and invest in them? What about friends and family? Who are you investing in? Whose life are you touching? Some capacity. Not only should you invest in people, but you need to be intentional. Barnabas left Antioch to go get Saul out of Tarsus and haul him to Antioch. 
He was intentional. Intentionality is biblical. Jesus in Galilee said, go, make disciples of all nations and baptize and teach. You got to go. You got to be intentional. Right before he ascended in Acts 1.8, he said, here's where you're going to start. I want you to start right here in Jerusalem, then go to Judea and Samaria, and then the rest of the world. There's intentionality. You got to pick a person. You got to pick time. You got to pick places. You got to think this through. Because when it comes to helping people come to Jesus, get this, you don't impact people accidentally. Now, I know some of you are really clever, and you're thinking sometimes you've done that. No, you don't. Not really. Not in a good way. Christians... Don't help people come to Jesus accidentally. It's with intentionality. That's how it works. Debbie and I are in what we're told is called the legacy building stage of our lives. I have no idea who comes up with that stuff. I'm going to discuss how they categorize our lives. We're legacy builders, which means this. We ain't old, but we getting there, right? We're still good for this service. We don't need to be in the 830 service yet, but we're, we're pretty soon we're going to graduate up there. You know? Just kidding, because some of you go to 830 and you're like, that's just funny because you're in both, so don't think about that. We're trying to, in our life, be at a point where we leave something behind. That's what we're told. This past week, I got word that one of my uh, former youth died from the very first church that I went to on September 7th. 1980, at the age of 19, I went to Northside Baptist Church. And I, I can remember the first time I walked into those youth to this day. I can remember the build, uh, their faces, the smell, the feel. And I remembered how much I wanted to impact their life. I came from a much, I, I had a so much better background than they did, so much better life. I was so much more privileged than they were. And, uh, and I was so fortunate. God had blessed me so much. And I just wanted to impact their life. And one of those, one of those first youth was Rodney. He, he and I had the same birthday, not date. I was six years older, but same birthday. And Rodney passed away. And I, I found myself, Lord, did I ever make a difference in Rodney's life? Seriously. Did I matter at all to him? There's a parable that Jesus tells. It's found in Matthew 25. It gets lost because Matthew 24 and 25 is the Olivet Discourse right before his death and and everybody worries about the last times and end things and all that stuff. And they forget this beautiful story. He says there was a man who was unbelievably wealthy, stinking rich. Ah, oh, I wish he went to our church right now. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and he was going to go on this long, 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 long journey. So he took three of his servants. And he gave them some money. And he gave them money and talent. Now, talent was, was weight of gold or silver. And, and some say, you know, it's hard to know how much, maybe a year's salary, maybe six years' salary. People argue, then there's a ton of money, literally, it was a lot of money. And so one guy, he said, here's one talent. Didn't have much confidence in him. But then another guy said, here's two, there's twice as much. Had a lot of confidence in him. And one guy, he said, here's five talents. That's a, maybe 30 years worth of money. It's amazing. And he left on his journey, and he wanted them to do something with it, and he came back. And the guy who gave five said, here's five more back. Cool, thanks. Good job. The guy had two, said, here's two more back. Said, Fantastic. Then he got to the guy who had one. He said, here's your one talent. He said, I, I didn't do anything with it because you're a harsh man. You reap where you don't sow. You gather, you gather what you don't plant. And, and uh, the master just punished him, but that's not the point. And what normally happens, you know, we, and rightly so, we preach about, are you the faithful with five or two? Or are you like the one? And I get all that. But here's the thing. When I think of this story, I don't ever think about the guy who had the one talent. 
I'm not that guy. I'm not worried about being that guy. I'm not going to do anything. You know what I worry about? I worry about being the guy who has the five talents. But I only bring my master back two because I wasted the rest of my talent. That is what scares me, that I waste what God has given me. Too often, Christians worry about silly things. We're worried about whether we all believe the same things. I get people ask all the time, do you agree with Calvin or disagree with Calvin? Who cares? It's about whether I disagree or agree with Jesus. That's all that matters. What version of the Bible do you use? Who cares what English version you use? If you don't speak, read Greek and Hebrew, it really doesn't matter. Jesus isn't going to ask you the initials of the English version you used. It doesn't matter. Who cares about your church polity? And whether everybody agrees with how you do everything, do you think Jesus gives a rat's rear end about any of that? No. One thing he cares about is you help people come to have faith in me. That's all that is eternal. Polity, your English version, your doctrine, that's not eternal. Faith in Jesus is. So here's the thing. Invest in people and impact their life and leave a legacy that is eternal. What is your legacy? What is it? Are you investing in people? Are you impacting the lives of people for Jesus? Some of you today, you need to make a commitment. You say, I'm going to impact. I know I need to impact. So make that commitment. Think of the one. Think of the person. Think of when you'll do it. How are you going to impact life? But make the commitment. It begins with that. No one ever leaves an impact on people's lives accidentally. So make that commitment and then invest. Make the commitment to invest your time and your talent. Some of you today, your commitment may need to be to be a part of this church. Whether you join it formally is not the issue. You can join it formally, but if you just say, you know, this is my church, I'm making the commitment here and I'm gonna serve through here. We'd love for you to do that. Some of you may need to give your life to Christ. And I haven't really talked about coming to Jesus, but the ultimate impact on your life is whether you come to Christ. Here's the thing, we're gonna be here. And if you want us to come, we'll come up here and pray with some of us. And ladies, if you wanna pray with another lady, there'll be a lady here, that's fine. But the most important thing you gotta remember is this, what is your legacy gonna be? What is your legacy going to be? Who are you going to impact for Jesus? Well, Father, Barnabas was an amazing man because he had an amazing Savior in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ so touched his life, he gave himself so completely, he impacted. And there is, there is the legacy for us. How do we impact the people who will impact the other people? for all eternity. Let us not worry about how people think of us. Let us not worry about how we're remembered. God, just how we invest in people's lives and how we love people and share the gospel with them. And Father, as Jesus said, this is my commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So let us love and impact just like Barnabas so that people will have an eternal salvation and there will be an eternal significance. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front to greet you. You.